Hello, and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a podcast about all of the various new versions of on-screen Star Trek. This week, we're looking at episode nine of Star Trek Lower Decks entitled Crisis Point. I'm one of your hosts. I'm the philosophy guy, Dr. Rodney Cup. And I'm Dr. Michael Merrick. You might call me the media guy in this podcast. Our website is thestartrekacademy.blogspot.com. And you can find links there to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and links also to help you find us on various podcast sites that you can use with your podcatching uh, software. We do want to thank our listeners. Last week, we had our most episodes downloaded yet, and that was uh, cool. As Thank always, you. yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you to everyone. Uh, as always, we, we uh, begin with a brief, you might call it an executive summary uh, review of the episode. We try to be fairly short and sweet, uh, but if you have not seen the episode already, there are some spoilers here. And I'm going to hand it off to Dr. Rodney for that. Okay, here we go. So this episode begins with Mariner on this planet, which goes unnamed, populated by intelligent lizards and rats. Mariner is there and she declares that the era of rat oppression is over. Apparently the rats have been eating the lizards. In spite of that fact, the lizards don't seem to me at least to be very excited about this. Freeman then beams down and castigates Mariner for violating the prime directive and she orders Mariner to go see Dr. Miglimo for therapy. I hope I'm saying that right. This infuriates Mariner because she would much rather be sent to the brig. Anyway, the doctor's job is to help her become the officer Freeman knows she can be, but Mariner just wants to prove to her mother that her mother is wrong. Meanwhile, Boimler is trying to qualify for an advanced diplomacy workshop. And in order to prepare for his interview with Captain Freeman, he's running a simulation of the Cerritos and her crew on the holodeck. The simulation is going to help him, he hopes, modify his interactions with Freeman and improve his chances of qualifying for the workshop. But Mariner gets a bright idea. She modifies Boimler's program so that it can give her a cathartic outlet for her rage she transforms the program into the movie Crisis Point, The Rise of Vindicta. She and her Lower Decks friends are going to be characters in it. Boimler, though, doesn't want to be in the movie. He just wants to prep for the evaluation. So during this entire movie, he's asking various holodeck characters questions about Freeman. And that's where a lot of the comedy comes from in this episode. But as this movie of Mariners begins, Admiral Vassery... Uh, you might remember him from an earlier episode, is ordering Cerritos to visit Idlocana 6 to find a vessel that has been masquerading as a Starfleet second contact ship. Once they arrive, they encounter a Klingon bird of prey, and Vindicta is her captain, and Vindicta is played by Mariner, and alongside her is Artendi and Rutherford. Vindicta berates Captain Freeman, she says that she's a coward who hides behind rank and a captain who can't even appreciate her most valuable creative thinkers. Surely she's talking about herself there. Vindicta and her team board Cerritos and Vindicta starts kicking ass. When Rutherford though realizes that he can say whatever he wants to his boss with no consequences, he goes off to find Billups. 
when he finds him, he unexpectedly showers Billups with praise and expresses his admiration for him. Uh, meanwhile, Vindicta blows Shaxx to bits in the lounge and suggests to Tendi that they torture Tana. At that point, Tendi says, you're way too into this. This is all messed up. And she leaves the holodeck. After that, Vindicta confronts Freeman on the bridge. She tells Freeman that she wants her to stop treating her like she's the bad guy all the time. And of course, Freeman says, I don't even know who you are, but Vindicta blows up her own ship's warp core and that explosion sends the Cerrito spiraling down to the planet where it crashes in dramatic fashion. But miraculously, Freeman is still alive and orders any surviving crew to evacuate. But we learn that Rutherford has beamed the entire crew off the ship with a couple of exceptions here, which we'll find out about before the crash. And just as Vindicta is about to kill Freeman, holodeck Mariner shows up and beams Freeman off the Cerritos. Vindicta and Mariner get into a fight. Vindicta tells Mariner, if you really were a badass, you'd do the hard thing and just be a good officer. Mariner tells Vindicta, that she would do anything for her mom. And by having her on the Cerritos, Freeman is watching out for her. At that point, the ship self-destructs and the movie ends. After the movie, Mariner apologized to Tendi for casting her as an Orion pirate in the movie. And she apologizes to Freeman also and thanks her for looking out for her. Afterwards, Boimler returns to the holodeck to continue preparing for his interview. The program resumes and during the, a memorial service for Mariner, Boimler learns that Freeman is Mariner's mother. Apparently no one knew this. Freeman says that if anyone had ever found out, she would have kicked them off the ship or court-martialed them. This discombobulates Boimler so much that he fails the evaluation. And that's the episode. Okay, so first we'll look at some of the individual elements that make up this uh, episode. We'll come back and look at the morals and the meaning uh, in a little bit, but uh, we want to look at some of the individual things. And this episode really is in, uh, an homage to Star Trek films and, and some other things too, but certainly to Star Trek films. It's been widely commented if you've read the various reviews and things on the internet, but there are a lot of things in this episode that pay tribute to Star Trek films. And, and uh, I think it's worth mentioning several of them, at least briefly. The opening credits of the movie in the episode, you see the rotating star background and heroic music. We've seen that in Star Trek films. Another thing in the episode that resembles something we've seen in Star Trek films before is a shuttle fly around, a rather lengthy one, of the newly refitted Cerritos. That's right out of Star Trek The Motion Picture. And if you listen closely to the music that they play during this, this fly around, it sounds very much like the heroic music uh, James Horner wrote for The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, in Star Trek The Motion Picture, the, the, the scene where they're flying around the, the refitted Enterprise, it really, if you look at it today, if you watch it today, it seems long and it's almost five minutes long, but you have to kind of see it in context. In 1979, it was perfect for fans. It was what we today call fan service because fans had gone for over a decade with no, I mean, there was the animated series, but with no new live action Star Trek. And of course the Enterprise is an important part 
of, of Star Trek. And the fans had worked hard to make the movie a reality. And, and of course, the movie special effects were way better than we'd ever seen on TV. I remember clearly someone, I don't remember who it was, but someone in 1979 saying that the movie Enterprise made the TV Enterprise look like a Cracker Jack prize. And I don't even know if Cracker Jacks have those cheap little plastic prizes in them anymore. But uh, in 1979, the amount of time they spent and the emotion was really just just perfect. And in this episode, the fly around of the Cerritos, it lasted about a minute. But if you think of a minute as part of a total episode that's less than, than a half hour, less than 30 minutes, that is that is a lot. It is a lot, but it, it, it was enough to call attention to itself. I, I thought I thought the length was pretty much perfect. Um, once we get on the Cerritos, we fast forward to the J.J. Abrams uh, Calvin timeline films with all those lens flares all over the place. Yeah, they they just went they overdosed on on lens flares and things, and and it's obvious why why they did. A Mariner fighting herself is right out of the movies, like like Kirk on Rurapente. Um, uh, fighting a shape changer that looked like Kirk, but it was also it, it reminded us of the the original series episode, The Enemy Within, where you had a good Kirk and a bad Kirk, and they didn't exactly fight, but they interfaced. They uh, um, they kind of struggled with each other. Speaking of the the J.J. Abrams uh, Trek movies, when the Cerritos went into warp at the end of the one segment with all of the lightning crackles and things like that, that was very much the J.J. Abrams going into warp effect, not the regular, not the regular effect that we see, we see on TV. Another thing that is reminiscent of Star Trek films here is when it, uh, Cerritos crashes on the planet. I mean, that immediately recalls the scene near the end of Generations where the, the saucer section of the Enterprise D crashes. Um, flat it doesn't cartwheel but it does crash uh, i thought the animation of that sequence was really just spectacular i thought it was really really cool here's something that almost nobody has commented on but if you look carefully every now and then there are little vertical lines that that run through the scene and and it's it's like if you ever watch an old film that's kind of been scratched and things like that you see those vertical lines scrolling through and there was one point that up in in the upper in the upper corner of the film just for a minute an oval flash flashed there and in the old days when movies were really film film reels uh, that that those little ovals were the signal to get ready to start the next reel of film so that even in that way they were they were um, signaling that this is this is a movie and i just want to point out michael that i did not notice these things so thank you and i'm going to go back and watch this episode again so that i can see them yeah, when I first when I first saw them, I didn't I didn't notice them the first time I watched the episode. When I watched the second time, I was going, "Is that a glitch? Is that a glitch in the in the video or something like that?" But uh, but yeah, um, it was it was the simulation of the of the 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 film setting. You know, there's a reference to Vindicta and the captain were supposed to fight on a rickety metal catwalk, like in uh, Star Trek Generations, which is where essentially James Kirk died unless you read some of the some of the books science fiction films are are just packed with metal catwalk uh, catwalks aren't they yeah 
Um, another thing that at the very end, we see a mariner uh, emerge from a capsule on the surface of a planet, which of course is supposed to remind us of the end of uh, the second Star Trek film, The Wrath of Khan. Right, with Spock down on the planet. That's right. And speaking of the end of the movie, um, the closing credits, not of the episode, but of the movie, had the signatures of cast members, which was done in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which was essentially the, except for the little bit at the beginning of Generations, it was the final movie of the original uh, series cast. And I, I, I was reading those. I was wondering what a handwriting expert would say about Mariner's handwriting style. It's kind of flowery and things like that. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily what I would expect from someone who perceives herself to be a badass, but um, you know, you could, you could actually, if someone knew how to do that, which I don't, you could look at all of the different characters and it might be, it might be the production staff didn't even think about that, but with the level of detail they give to a lot of things, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some kind of, uh, some kind of signaling there. One of the other just detail things, uh, the villain quoting Shakespeare as Vin Vindicta did, just like Khan, Khan did, just like General Chang in Star Trek VI, uh, a very common, and, and Shakespeare has also provided the titles of many Star Trek episodes and things, so it's a, it's a common presence. Absolutely. Uh, there's the one quick scene where Mariner is actually creating her movie, modifying Boimler's, and you have to look really fast to see it, but what she's doing is in screenplay format, and, and if you look really quick, they do describe some of the scenes we actually see later, like Shax with the great big huge gun being blown up. That's awesome. I'm going to have to look at that. Speaking of Mariner, uh, the, the episode begins with a typical Mariner away scenario. She's she's trying to make a difference, but protocol gets in the way. In, the, in this case, she's trying to root out injustice, which obviously is noble. But then there's that pesky prime directive. Yeah, and she, she claims to hate the protocol and things, um, even when she sh should be paying attention to it. Another thing about that opening scene, I don't really know the production history of this episode. I went to Memory Alpha to see if they had any information and they and they didn't. But you, you can't help but notice the toppling of the rat statue and think about the removal of Confederate monuments and statues of Columbus in the United States this year. Yeah, definitely. Another thing that that occurred to me when when watching the episode, of course, you know, the the one of the key plot points is her mom orders her to go to therapy. And isn't it just like Mariner to want to create her own therapy, not do someone else's therapy? She wants to create her own. Yeah, that's um, a great point. But I'm not sure, I'm not sure if she really was saying I'm going to modify Brad Boindler's program so that I can do my own therapy or just this is going to give me a chance to get some stuff out of my system. Right. I, well, she realizes at the end that it's therapy, but at the yeah. beginning, she just needs a catharsis probably. Wait, I noticed maybe, and maybe I just, I keep looking for this. I'm not sure, but maybe Freeman has found her catchphrase and I, I kind of like it. Warp me. I kind of like that. I don't know. <laughs> if it were me, I would encourage her to keep looking, but, but, <laughs> okay. but what can I say? You know, there, there are endless things here we could, we could talk about. In fact, I have more listed that I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk about here, but a couple of things, again, that other people haven't 
noted that the scene where Mariner pulls out the Borg head, where did she have it before she pulled it out behind her back? It's just that classic cartoon style. And we've talked about that in previous episodes too. She didn't have a backpack or a, or a satchel or anything like that. It's just, she reached behind her back and, and, and pulled it out. Yep. Um, Tendi saying Orion's haven't been pirates for five years. I, I tried to figure out what was five years ago and I don't know, it, it was roughly the end of the Dominion War. Maybe that disrupted the, 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 the hyper-libertarian pirate culture of the Orions. I, I don't know. When Tendi leaves the holodeck after she says, this is not you, to Mariner and leaves, uh, right before she's covered with essentially blood and gore from shacks being blown up, but she turns around and as soon as she's in the hallway, that's gone because it's holographic. Mm. And pardon the language, but when Mariner, uh, when the holographic Mariner yells out, get off my mom, you bitch. That was right out of the movie Aliens. Yeah. With Ellen Ripley, uh, the alien queen is threatening Newt. And she says, get away from her, you bitch. So uh, that's, not, that's not a tribute to, to Star Trek movie, but it's a tribute to a really really excellent science fiction movie. I also noticed that that in this scene, she shows up to save the day. She does have her sleeves rolled up, which is kind of symbolic of being at work, but her collar is properly buttoned, which yeah. you almost rare, you rarely see her do. A little bit later after they've been fighting a bit, it's open that she's been roughed up, but uh, just the symbolism of showing yeah. up to save the day with her collar buttoned that's right. being a professional. That's being, that's as Starfleet as you get. Right. And if you're going to kick Vindicta's butt, you, you got to have to roll up your sleeves for that. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So one thing uh, that felt a little weird to me is that, uh, you know, after they leave the holodeck, Rutherford decides not to tell Billups how he feels about him. And I, I found that a little bit weird given that Boimler's simulation is based on private log entries and, Billups reacted so positively to it in Mariner's movie. So it seems like this would be something that Billups in real life would appreciate. And he does seem sad in the lounge while he's, you know, sipping his uh, yeah, soup or whatever. Sad or and at least this, a little bit lonely. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. And this reminded me of Miles O'Brien in that web comic, Chief O'Brien at Work. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. I have book. not. I have not. Look it up. It's, it's funny, but in a dark way. It's a comic about, um, I think, well, one of the themes and it is just O'Brien, when he's transporter chief on the Enterprise, he's basically ignored by the rest of the, the crew, and he's obviously lonely and unhappy. So uh, that, was, that was a bit of a weirdness for me anyway. And kind of the final thing I would note is it appears that Captain Freeman is also in therapy. Maybe it's just a one-time thing that she goes in after the, 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 the events that she knows about in this episode, but it looks to me like she's also in, in therapy and she's struggling with stuff too. And then as, as yeah. the final, final note before we go on to messages, morals, and meanings, she's allergic to chocolate. And I wonder if that explains not having chocolate in her life explains a lot about her character. I don't know. Probably, probably. I, I, I do have sympathy for her. Yeah. For not being able to enjoy the wonders of chocolate. So messages, morals, and meanings? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's move on to that. Kind of, we want to, what's the takeaway for the audience? 
are are there philosophical underpinnings or well, at least what is the what is the takeaway what is the meaning what is uh, important about this episode so i mostly we're going to be talking about mariner and her, her mother but there is the situation at the beginning of the episode that i wanted to address Briefly, it, it touches on something that I find very interesting, which is the prime directive. The lizards, uh, getting back to them, they don't seem very interested in being liberated from their rat oppressors, which might seem a little odd to us, but yet there it is. Liberation, it, it appears to be something Mariner is imposing on them. And in this way, uh, Mariner seems to have a view of the prime directive that that's like Kirk's. You might remember some of those original series episodes like uh, The Return of the Archons, A Taste of Armageddon, and The Apple, where Kirk interferes in the development of certain civilizations uh, for their own good, even though some of them are, un are unwilling. So, and that, that appears to be what Mariner is doing here. In scholarly writing, that attitude of Kirk has been highly criticized as as Western imperialism and, and things like that. It was yeah. it was storytelling in the 1960s, but uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, oh no, that's all right. Uh, that 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 you know, as we see it today, a lot of the storylines from the 60s and even you know some from the 80s, early next generation, don't hold up to our expectations today. Right. And the the prime directive, or you think about how Picard thought about the prime directive and, and uh, you know, Captain Janeway was willing to um, strand them in the, uh, was it the Delta Quadrant? <laughs> Which quadrant were they stranded in? Yeah. Um, yeah, she was willing to strand Voyager in a different quadrant in order to uh, respect the prime directive, if I'm remembering correctly. But, you know, I, maybe Mariner is onto something. When you think about the moral question here, I think there's a genuine moral question here. Is Starfleet under any obligation to correct injustice wherever they find it? And I, I think a case could be made for that. If we discovered a, a situation similar to the one Mariner discovered on the planet with the lizards and the rats here on Earth, uh, would the UN have any obligation to act? It seems human beings, or at least some of us, think that we would. You think about the situation in the... Uh, old Yugoslavia with ethnic cleansing and how the UN was uh, committed troops and President Clinton at the time supported uh, involvement in order to try to bring that to an end. So, you know, I, I think maybe there was something to Kirk's way of thinking on this. I guess I'll, I'll put it that way. It also reminded me a bit of Star Trek Discovery where Saru's people had been, had been right. bred to be a prey a prey species, but for Saru's people, as well as here in this episode, both both species are sentient, and right. uh, um, so I think there there may well have been some inspiration there too. Good point. I think I think the big takeaway of this episode, though, is Mariner's character development. What we learn about her resentment of her mother, but also her loyalty and knowing deep down that in her own way, Captain Freeman, her mother, is, is supporting her. Right, and we should point out that this, this is a universal theme. I think maybe most, if not all of us, have had issues with our parents or our children, and this is exactly what uh, Mariner and Freeman are struggling with in this episode, and perhaps during the entire season. It seems to be a lot deeper than I hope 
many, many of our relationships are. And we don't know. There's a point where uh, Mariner says that her mother has been a jerk since she was eight, since Mariner was eight. And we don't know what happened then. Maybe we will find that out in a future episode. I was wondering if it had to do with if her parents are in fact divorced, and I don't even know that. Um, right. We don't know if they're divorced or just or married and stationed in different locations. Uh, so, but 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 this this you know this this relationship, and and what it what it means for Mariner's personality is all the way through this section, not the superficial layer of the story, maybe. But 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 as you as you peel back the onion down to the deeper levels of the story, she picks a name Vindicta that essentially means vengeance uh, because of how she feels about her mom at one point. And it's it's kind of it's kind of funny. She's jerking her mom's chain or something by calling her free man. But mm-hmm. she says that her mother can't even appreciate her most valuable creative thinkers, presumably talking about herself. When Tendi leaves the holodeck, she says, this isn't you. There's that same theme that we've seen so often recently in Star Trek in, in previous Lower Decks episodes. And it was a big part of discovery of who you, who, who you want to be, who you should be, who you were meant to be. Mariner wants her mom to stop treating her as the bad guy all the time. And in the movie, you know, her mom doesn't even know her literally in the holo- on the hologram movie, but but maybe figuratively Mariner feels that in real life. And she tells her mom to give up the loving captain act. And the response is in a very kind of aggressive voice. It's not an act, yeah. you know. So maybe there's some, maybe her mom is a little bit broken in some ways too. I have to say, Rodney, that that the first time through, I didn't click on why all of a sudden there were two Mariners and they addressed it in the script, but it just didn't click for me the first time. You know, when I watched it again, it, it fell in place. The holodeck was creating essentially realistic simulations of all of the characters like in next generation, like Moriarty was created for data in Jordy or, or like in another episode, Jordy created a, a holodeck version of Leah Brahms based on all of the data that is available about that person or, you know, the fictional or, or real person, the computer can create the personality and then have it project from there. And so the computer knows that Beckett is the badass who would arrive in the nick of time to save the captain. And again, that is very typical of what we've seen from her. Yeah, um, on second thought, it's not surprising at all. Of course she would do that, right? Yeah. The real Mariner, who in the movie is the bad guy, is fighting the hologram of Mariner, who is the good Mariner in in the story. And, you know, the hologram Mariner says to the real Mariner, I may hate protocol, but I don't hate the ship. The captain, the captain's my mom. I would do anything for her. If she kicks me off the Cerritos, I'd be done in Starfleet. She's watching out for me the only way she knows how in her overbearing mom way. To me, that doesn't really sound like someone looking for vengeance. Now that is the computer reconstructing what Mariner would say from all of her log entries and things like that. Right. So, so presumably what she's been saying in her logs isn't necessarily quite the same as what she'd been been acting out in, in real person. 
and and of course the main plot point is the the hologram mariner faked out vindicta to give her crewmates time to get away before self-destructing even though rutherford had beamed all the rest of the crew off apparently except for the captain and holographic mariner and that i'm not sure exactly how that how that worked but i think mariner has discovered she really does like working on the ship of course and that and the therapy uh, works uh, once they're back in real life. She's happy to go watch the warp core because even though she's constantly been saying it's lame, she really likes it. And, and she is mm-hmm. kind of seeing things, either seeing things in a new way or being honest with herself about how she sees things as a result of this confrontation with herself. Right. Um, and, and we might point out that her, you know, holodeck Mariner, made the ultimate sacrifice to save her crew. So for all the, I guess, derision that uh, Mariner gets from her senior officers, Mariner is a, is a heroic character, even if she is a, uh, a pain in the butt, as she calls herself. The, the real Mariner tells the hologram Mariner, you only break the rules because you know that's what everyone expects you to do. If you really were a badass, you'd do the hard thing and just be a good officer. They're not casting you as the villain, you are. And you know, I was, I was thinking about that. When you advance in the leadership of any organization, and I'm, that certainly includes Starfleet, meetings and reports and doing plans and scheduling, that comes with advancing in the leadership of, of any organization. And, and working well in, in that kind of environment takes those skills. And I wonder if Mariner really, really hates them or is she afraid of failure? Is she afraid she just won't succeed? Does she lack the self-confidence concerning those skills? And I mean, she's an adrenaline junkie and, and she, what she loves best is doing things on impulse and she, she trusts her judgment there. I don't think she trusts herself to do a good job of the higher leadership roles that we've heard her complaining about for ages. We need to, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're talking about this because we know that she's not interested in the obligations of a higher rank, but you're right. We, we're not exactly sure at this point why she's not. I mean, it could be a number of reasons. Another re- possible reason is, is if, as you noted in your comments about an earlier episode, Envoys, maybe she has trouble focusing. She's e- easily distracted. That could also be a, a problem for her. And, and that may be, but I, I mean, my thoughts about this episode are she's, she's scared of failure. Even when she gets sent to the brig, it's usually for something that deep down was the right thing to do, you know, like, like saving one, one species from being eaten by another or something like that. Right. But I wonder, I wonder if she is, if she does not have the confidence of being able to do well. She is impulsive and it's something that she should probably change. Did you notice in the therapist's office, she essentially has a little temper tantrum and, and she smashes the plant on the table in front of her. If you look closely, that was a Japanese bonsai maple tree. And they are often very, very old. There are Japanese bonsai maple trees alive today that are 500 years old. I did not and, notice that. And, I mean, I knew that she destroyed something. I didn't know it was a bonsai yeah. maple tree. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, now that you pretty sure it was, yeah. Uh, and 
you know, and, and that temper tantrum like that, that that's again, the, the impulsiveness, the, and, and that some of that may be why she's not sure that she can settle down and be in staff meetings and, and, and that I, I, I don't know. I see. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. So we're the, the episode leaves us with this question. How is this, how is she going to change and what are the future consequences going to be of Boimler's knowledge that Mariner is Freeman's daughter. Mm -hmm. um, in that way, the episode didn't reset. I mean, it's this is almost a cliffhanger in a way. We're gonna have to see uh, what happens next week with this. And of course, we know that we will, but if you saw the preview for next week's episode, that's this sort of set up the episode for next week. Yeah. So kind of my final thought here, again, this is, there's the whole tribute to the movies thing, but deep down, this is a character development uh, story. And, and when you think about it, making the holodeck program, I mean, how many episodes have we seen that have, have holodeck, holodeck settings? But casting it as a movie, Any. I mean, casting it as a movie, as a movie within the holodeck, I mean, yeah, that's good for humor. There are lots of fun things there. But if you think about a movie script, in the old days, the characters never changed in a movie. But in a movie script today, characters will often start out one way and then change during the movie to, to be different at, at the end. And in a movie, you have to do that compressed into a couple of hours. Uh, and so in, in the couple of hours of a movie, you have a lot more character development than you would have in, say, two hours of a TV show where the character development would would evolved much much more much more slowly so the the movie format is is almost a, a pathway by which the writers of the episode could create some pretty fast evolution of Mariner's character I've been saying from I think the beginning of the season and correct me if I'm wrong Rodney that I thought we would see character growth and change and yes. Um, and, and I think that I suggested at least some of the characters like Mariner would see some significant change over time. And I think that this, this episode largely is it for Mariner. We're one episode away from the end of the season. She started out the season, I think being pretty happy where she was, she was in her comfort zone, but as time passed and, and making some new friends, she came to admit that she had some things to figure out about herself and about who she wanted to be. And, and so it seems like Crisis Point, in terms of the way the, the writers of Star Trek Lower Decks are evolving the characters, it seems like this is, is a major part of that. If, if Star Trek Lower Decks was going to be a one season series only that wasn't going to have season two coming up, we would see Mariner at the end in the final scene walking under the bridge with Lieutenant's pips on her collar, being a good shift commander and smiling because she has had this epiphany and sees things differently. Well, that's not going to happen, presumably, because we do have more seasons uh, coming up. But uh, uh, so, so the, the character development can spread itself out further. I'm reminded of Firefly, which was a TV series, a one season TV series that I was very fond of. And then uh, the creators, Joss Whedon, came back and did a movie, Serenity, based on Firefly. And 
the the intent for the, the lead character Malcolm Reynolds was going to be that his character would evolve over several seasons. Well, we didn't get several seasons of TV. And so the movie kind of put his personality back where he was at the beginning of the TV season, at the beginning of the movie. But over the course of a couple of hours of the movie, it evolved to where it would have for the series finale of a multi-season TV series and kind of a similar story arc, but storytelling in a movie is different. And so this, whatever happens next week, I'm wondering if there'll be an end of the season cliffhanger or if it will, the episode will just end and then the next season will start sometime down the road. But this, this is not going to be a stopping place for character development of Mariner or any of the other characters. It's going to keep going. Uh, there may be differences Mariner and the others at the beginning of season two won't be in the same character place they are at the beginning. They were at the beginning of season one, but it will be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean the the season finale, but uh, future seasons as well. So that about does it, I guess, for this week. Yeah, I think so. Um, so we'd like to thank you all for joining us, our listeners. Uh, the Star Trek Academy podcast responds to every new Star Trek episode of every series, including Lower Decks Now, obviously, and the third season of Discovery later this fall. You can find- Coming soon, coming coming soon. soon. You can find new episodes at the startrekacademy.blogspot.com. That site also has links for your podcatching software. So please do join us again next week for the Star Trek Academy podcast.